This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. I'm Liz, the Chief Mom Officer, and when I'm not busy being the breadwinner of my family of five, I'm stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's Mom's Basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and happy Wednesday. We're about to make it even happier because we're going to talk about winning the lottery. You know you've asked yourself this question. If you won, which option would you pick? Would you go for a straight-out check or the lifetime income stream? Here to help us with that and maybe how pensions and annuity streams work, we welcome the CEO of Sabre Pension and Actuarial Services, Brent Henningsen. Plus, is Warren Buffett a moron? One day trader says so. Joe and OG might have different thoughts, you think? Plus, we'll throw out the lifeline to another Joe who wants to know if he can keep investing while pursuing a dentistry residency. And now, two guys who are one lottery ticket short of a winner, if you know what I mean. It's Joe and OG. The comedy never ends down in the basement. Thank goodness we can barely see him. Is it dimly lit here or what? It sounds like a uh, an affront, you know. Hey, those guys over there, they're uh, hey a couple of numbers short of a lottery winner. Well, he's always trying to come up with something. Hey, everybody, welcome to Wednesday here in the basement. I am Joe Salcihi, Average Joe Money on Twitter, and uh, it is dark here today. I don't know what the deal is. But man, do we got a great show. We're going to light up people's life, light emitting from the basement and across the world to you, wherever you are. Because today, OG, we're going to talk about winning the lottery. Which option do you take? Do you take the money in one fell swoop or do you take the lifetime income option? Some lotteries give you several different options. And maybe, just maybe, we'll tie that into things like pensions and annuity payments too i already feel like i've won the lottery joe every day that i get to work with you it's i took a lifetime option little did we know when we started this thing eight and a half years ago that uh that it was a lifetime commitment i thought maybe we'd play around make a couple episodes go back outside and never talk again Hey, if you're looking for new friends, by the way, you know where you go. You hit up Fiverr. Big thanks to Fiverr for supporting Stacky Benjamins. Easy to find freelance talent, people to pretend that they like you for your business or product. I, I'm sure they don't want uh, they don't want that. I'm sure Fiverr doesn't want that being their tagline, people to pretend they like you. Actually, I've had phenomenal experiences. Again, last week on Fiverr, we were designing some graphics for tonight's live event on YouTube. Found great people on Fiverr. Get 10% off and the service you deserve by going to FIVERR.com. Use code SB. Super easy to find freelance talent for a business or product. Don't waste any more time. 10% off and the service you deserve by going to FIVERR.com. Use code SB. Great show today. We've got Brett Henningsen here with us. Going to talk about lottery options, pension options. How do they put these things together? You're going to be so much smarter at the end of the show. But first, we got some headlines. We got one. One of them is a, it's a pretty dumb headline. So let's move. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our first headline comes to us from MarketWatch, as written by Sean Langlois. You ready for this, OG? You sitting down? 
I am seated presently. Check this out. Here's a headline for you. Warren Buffett is, quote, an idiot, says investor who claims day trading is the, quote, easiest game I've ever played. <laughs> yep, I agree. It is super easy. You press some buttons and you watch your money go away. It's amazing. Did we just witness an epic signal of a blow-off top? Yes, says Gary Evans of the Global Macro Monitor blog, who pointed to the recent action on Barstool Sports founder David Portnoy's Twitter feed as the reason why. On Monday, Portnoy slammed Berkshire Hathaway's Warren Buffett for unloading airline stocks as the coronavirus epidemic took its toll. He also went off on how he made almost $300,000 on the day, but missed out on an even bigger number by getting out too soon. I'm just printing money, Portney said. Why take profits when every airline goes up 20% every day? Losers take profits. Winners push the chips to the middle. I should be up a billion dollars. It's too good. It's too good. I wish there was the other side of that story at the exact same time about the option trader who, you know, lost $100 million or lost $10,000. But there's a lot of this going around right now. That it's so easy. When does Hertz is another example? When 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 does yeah we can talk about Hertz separately, but when do we always get people telling us that day trading's easy? OG, every stinking time. I think it's comical when all ships are going up. Mm-hmm. When everything's going up is when we always hear that day trading is easy. I remember in the late nineties, people quit their jobs to sit at home and trade tech stocks. It's not even to the point of euphoria yet. This is this is the market going up for eight weeks. I just wrote about this in an article that I sent to everybody. There was no way on March 23rd that we all collectively went, yeah, you know what we should do right now? Double down. Now's the time. So to be eight or 10 weeks past that and, uh, and companies like airlines or like companies that are going out of business or have already gone out of business, continuing to trade. It's just silly. The other side of this, though, Gary Evans of Global Macro Monitor blog, who said that this is an epic signal of a blow-off top, said Evans compared Portnoy's rant Monday to one of the most quoted market top signals in history. Back in the fall of 1929, Yale economist Irving Fisher famously said, stock prices have reached what looks like a permanently high plateau. Permanently. We all know what happened in October of that year. Frame it, Evans said, a Portney's take, then run like hell. (laughs) (laughs) After Portney's tweet spread across Twitter, he doubled down on his Buffett bashing on Tuesday, calling him a washed-up investor who's no longer relevant. I'm not saying I had a better career as one of the best ever to do it. He said, I'm the new breed. I'm the new generation. There's nobody who can argue that Warren Buffett's better at the stock market than I am right now. I'm better than he is. That's a fact. I think it's because all these uh, degenerate gamblers can't bet on sports right now. And it's not fun to bet on sports that already happened. <laughs> so instead, they're betting on... Uh, I'm betting on stocks. Stocks are all going bankrupt. up. What could go Not wrong? Nice. What could possibly go wrong? Oh, boy. And by the way, our cynicism doesn't mean, OG, that we're, we think the market's going down. No, not at all. In fact, the exact opposite. I don't think the market's going up either. I don't think anything. It's a surprise to me every single day, just like it is to everyone else. And anybody that has any opinion about this, it's just that. It's a 100% opinion. There's absolutely no ability for anyone in this entire universe to predict what the future holds. I can tell you that over my lifetime, the stock market will be higher. That I'm comfortable with. But I'm not entirely sure that it's higher tomorrow or next month or a year from now or five years from now. But I feel really good about the lifetime growth of the stock market over my lifetime and over the lifetime of of our clients. So that's how we invest money. This day-to-day stuff is 100% speculation. It's gambling. It's, I mean, we say it a little tongue-in-cheek, but it totally is. You're just saying, yeah, I think I can put this money on, uh, you know, green zero again and see what happens. You never know. I might hit 35 to 1. And the worst thing that happens, just like we talked about it with your kid playing craps, is that he turned out to be right. <laughs> so, oh, it's so it's so 
fun to watch. I feel like we're at halftime, though. I definitely feel like there's so much more to this story. People saying that uh, that Warren Buffett might be washed up. He's not the only one. What's What's interesting about this is it's too early to tell, man. It's it's way too early to tell. But yeah. call your shot, everybody. Call your yeah. shot. And yeah. you got a 50-50 chance that you'll look phenomenal on the other side. You and Mrs. OG thinking about having an RV in retirement? No. But I did think about uh, renting one for the summer uh, next year. As Cheryl and I start moving around the United States the next few months, I've had... Dude in the VW bug anymore. <laughs> I, I've had several people tell me, they're like, you should do an RV. You should definitely do an RV. And I, I've said, it's it's just not for us. And then uh, our producer, Richie, found this, 13 Reasons Why You'll Regret an RV in Retirement by Bob Neat. By the way, not saying an RV is bad, just saying that you need to know. Just saying you're going to have some regret. Going in, what the regrets <laughs> might be. Number one, RVs are super expensive. They didn't say super. It says really expensive. Uh, an RV is a big investment. Before you can even set a budget, you need to understand the different options on the market. RVing introduces you to a whole new language, says Charlie Hannigan, who's been RVing with her husband, Joe, since 2014. The cars that are towed by motorhomes are toads. Sticks and bricks refers to permanent house. Class A's are the bus-like vehicles. Class B's are vans. Class C's are the ones that have a truck cab attached to an RV chassis. And fifth wheels are the big ones you see pulled by trucks. A trailer that's hauled behind a truck or SUV is the most affordable way to test drive one. That's often called a pop-up trailer. Cost as little as six thousand, as high as thirty. Of course, you could get them used as well. Type A motorhomes, the roomiest, begin at sixty thousand and can go to half a million dollars. That's a lot of nights in the Four Seasons. And that is a lot of Four Seasons nights. Uh, maybe a month. Is that a month? Four Seasons I'll let half you a million. Know. Number two, you're going to spend even more money updating the decor inside. The most disappointing thing about buying our RV was the decor, said Charlie, who owns 32-foot Jayco Precept Class A motorhome. I think of it as 19... 19- what's funny is that's a thing, that's like common lingo. Like, yeah, man, so I got the 30-foot, uh, uh, 32-foot Jayco Class A+. plus Precept Class A, if you know what I mean. Uh we spent about $2,000 to buy fabric and recover the furniture because she thought of it as 1970s old age home when she got it. Number three, this is a big one. Your RV will depreciate in value. You spent half a million dollars on an RV. How long is it going to last? I mean, uh, 10 years from now, if you're driving across the United States, back and forth, parking at different places, how long does it last? I'd, I'd love to hear from RV owners about how, much, how many years they've gotten out of their RV, especially if they're full-timers. One of, I, these is, uh, one of these, I'm sure, has got to be maintenance and, and uh, upkeep of it. And I have a uh, client that bought a really big one, you know, like a big one of those big Class A things, because they wanted to go to Alaska. That would be other a than, great trip other to than Alaska. That trip, yeah, yeah. Other than that trip, the only other stories I've heard about the RV have been... Yep, had to put $50,000 motor in it. Yep, had to do this. Uh, transmission went out. That was another twenty five grand. It's in the shop. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, next piece, RVs guzzle fuel. Mm-hmm. Even with uh, gas prices down, you're going to need extra insurance. Standard RV policy covers many of the same things as a standard auto policy. Uh, but, of course, it's an, it's an add-on. Uh, healthcare can be a hassle. Being on the road in RV can mean being far away from your, your regular doctors and your insurer's network of medical providers and facilities. You'll have to deal with your own waste. Reminds mm. me of that uh, Christmas vacation. Ba-dum, ba-dum, bum, bum, bum. Remember, Merry uh, Christmas. No, no. Remember the green sludge underneath when he uh, when he empties his. He he's empty. I'm well aware. I'm I'm yes. quoting the whole part. He's standing out there with his bathrobe. He's got a big cigar and a beer. And then he says, "Shit's full." Yeah. After he says "Merry Christmas." Oh, the, does he? And, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> he's standing out there on Christmas morning. What are you looking at? Oh, the silent majesty of a winter's morn, the clean, cool chill of the holiday air, and an asshole in his bathrobe. Emptying a chemical toilet into my sewer. Shitter was full! Ah, yeah. You checked our shitters, honey? Clark, please. He doesn't know any better. You ought to know it's illegal. 
It's a storm sewer. If it fills with gas, I pity the person who lights a match within 10 yards of it. <laughs> and so it goes. Oh, that's great. Next up, quarters are close. Even though those are spacious, still don't have a lot of extra rooms to... Not quite the Casa de o, del OG, huh? No. And they're not, they're not easy to drive. And overnight parking can become problematic. Repairs can be costly. You covered that one. You'll need to get rid of a lot of your stuff. It shows a garage hey, you you, full you of stuff. You got that box checked, huh? I do have that box checked. And then uh, it can get lonely on the road. We'll link to that. Uh, RV, I guess the point here is, and, and it's not really specific to RVs, but every every beautiful, beautiful thought process about what you're going to do next seems like the grass is always greener, right? Which is why I think these these uh, test vacations ahead of time before you decide, hey, we're going to do this full time are a great idea so you can get a much more realistic feel, OG, for what life is like, whether it's, you know, living in a cabin in the woods or having an RV or mm-hmm. or 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 moving halfway across the country from your entire family, whatever it whatever it might be, play test it first. Just like you do. Yeah. Uh, consistently um. play testing it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you have to. I think if you've never been in an environment like that, whether that's the people that you hang out with, whether it's the uh, experience of driving around, whether it's the close quarters, the community, the stuff around like, well, how do I get to the grocery store and back? And, you know, those just those little things that you take for granted. If you haven't ever done that before, you don't want your first experience hooking up your RV at the state park, you know, knocking on the guy next to you going, hey, where's this yellow thing go? You know, you want to kind of figure that out. <laughs> beforehand you know what what happens when i push this button oh it makes the horn go you know at midnight at 2 a.m in the in in the state park i think that's lesson number one lesson number two is uh day trading well it certainly is fun might be a little early to compare yourself to warren buffett Brent Henningsen is the CEO of Sabre Pension Actuarial Services. He's been working for 15 years on what are called defined benefit retirement plans. If anybody knows which lottery option is the best one to take, don't you love dreaming about the lottery, OG? It's uh, pretty dangerous because I always end up broke. <laughs> I love I love dreaming about it. I think I got to buy a ticket, actually. But then I look at the statistics, which is something Brett knows as an actuary. The statistics can be definitely against you. We're not just going to talk lottery, though. We'll obviously talk about if you ever have any type of settlement, whether it is a pension plan, an annuity, a life settlement, what options do you take? What are the options and which ones do you take? Let's say hello to Brent Henningsen. He's going to explain it all today. And on my dad's shortwave, it's our new friend, Brent Henningsen. How are you, Brent? Doing well. Well, I'm glad that you could join us. You know, it's interesting. While we're all sitting here social distancing, every once in a while, I don't know about you, I, I think about, uh, man, what if I won the lottery? Like, could I make this basement look a lot better? <laughs> and then, and then, could we, we maybe get some new shag carpeting? But then I think a guy like you, who with an actuary type background, whenever you hear about somebody winning the lottery, do you do you think to your head, oh, they should choose it, you know, take the check right now, or should they choose the lifetime option? You know how they have all those different choices. What do you think of when you hear about somebody winning a lottery? I, I think for most people, the time income is going to be better, just because. You know, like someone like me, I would love to take the lumps and manage it myself. But if you don't have a financial background, then it's not to have guaranteed payments coming in. Is that then actuarially then? Tell me how that works. Like, how do they decide when the lottery commission sets these up? Because it must be somebody with your type of background setting this up, right? How do they decide how much that yearly payout is going to be versus somebody that takes the the full check? Yeah. And I'm assuming it's a, and honestly, I don't know a ton about the lottery, but I'm assuming it's a lifetime stream. So they get until, you know, for the rest of their life. But 
essentially you're taking into account interest rates that the lottery is having to invest that money and they can let that money grow while they're paying it out. But they're also taking into account the ability of the person getting those payments because they're only paid as long as the person lives. It's funny then, you know, I, I mean, when I do that, when I, when I think about this type of thing, I always think, well, what if I like betting against myself, right? Right. What if I don't live very long, Brent? Like I made the wrong decision then. Yeah. It's an interesting question. I look at a lot like insurance. So if you think about it, getting a lifetime stream of income is a form of insurance running out of money. And it's a lot like buying a term policy where, you know, you pay a, a certain amount every month covering the contingency you pass away, your family's going to be taken care of. And so the likelihood of actually needing that is small, but it's good to have that insurance. It, you know, if something does happen, you're covered. Is this a time when it's good to know the statistics, like the mortality statistics out there for people, you, you know, that are your age? Yeah, I mean, mortality keeps improving every year. And, and the interesting thing is, depending on who you talk to um, or what institution, they all have opinions about how mortality will improve. I mean, the, the thing is, mortality has, or people are living longer than they did 100 years ago, say, and they continue to live longer as we continue to go on. But a lot of dispute about whether that's going to continue and at what rate it's going to continue because you know, we have more obesity and diabetes and a lot of other diseases. There's some people that think we've kind of reached our limit, um, or at least we're approaching that limit in terms of improving life expectancy. And yet it seems like uh, uh, medicine just keeps, you know, marching on. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things that's really hard to predict. It's kind of like trying to predict where the stock market will be in 20 years. I mean, right. the reality is <laughs> nobody knows. So there's just so many things that can happen that I can't even foresee. Well, so then then on, on one side, I think you're making the case then for by taking the yearly income stream and what we just talked about here, like choosing the safe option is almost like choosing, choosing okay, maybe a little bit less, but we know what we have, right? We, we, we know mm -hmm. how much we're going to get and then part of our life becomes more certain. Yeah, and I think that certainty, even if it has a cost, it, there's there's some comfort in that because you can budget for it. Um, I think a lot of lottery winners, though, they start borrowing money against future income streams that are, you know, <laughs> two, three years out. And then that can be an issue as well. I feel like one of those, one of those old commercials, see those like A.G. Wetworth commercials? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that type of thing. Hey, uh, I love this, starting off with the lottery. And like you said earlier, the lottery really is not what, it, what you're about. You're about pensions. But I wanted to bring this home with the lottery because no matter what type of settlement we get, whether it's a pension where we're choosing what pension option we're going to take, whether we're, we're deciding if we want maybe one of these longevity annuities where we get a payout or we get a settlement or win the lottery, we've got different choices that we choose. When it comes to pensions, can you walk us through what some of the usual options are someone will have to choose between when they decide how much money they get for the rest of their life? And I know, I, I know, Brent, that it's going to be different for everybody, but what are some of the ones you see most often? Yeah. So the most common ones, what's called a life, um, like a life only annuity, which is, it's a stream of payments that starts um, usually around like 62 or 65 and it's just paid until that person deceases. So it's a kind of a guaranteed stream of income as long as they live. Another common one, and, and if they're married, it's actually the default option is called a joint survivor. For example, like a joint survivor, 50% would say you get a stream of payments. And then when the participant passes away, the surviving spouse will get half of that initial stream of payments for the rest of their life. And then the last one is probably just a you know, lump sum or single sum option. And not all plans offer those, but when they do, you can take a single sum in lieu of a stream of future payments. So you're just kind of getting a settlement all at once. I want to start with that one, with the lump sum option. How do they determine how much money you're going to get if you decide to take a lump sum versus taking payments? Yeah, it's based on a prescribed set of interest rates for the IRS sets every month. And it's basically based on like high quality corporate bonds is the, the interest rate that's used. And it's based on current mortality rates. And so what they do is they convert the stream of payments to an actuarial equivalent lump sum using those interest rates and mortality table. Is that something where the average person, if they took out a calculator, 
they could figure out if they could create their own income stream that's better, maybe take the money from their company as a lump sum and then take it out and invest it. I know that, I mean, on one hand, that sounds pretty attractive, but on the other hand, there's a little casino aspect to that. Yeah, it's a really question. So usually you can't replicate that stream of payments if you take the lump sum because um, let me just kind of use a a couple of numbers to give an example. Let's say you have $10,000 a year for the rest of your life. You might get $150,000 lump sum in lieu of that if you wanted. And then in the finance industry, they use the 4% rule. You take 4% per year as a way not to run out of money. Sure. So you're creating a stream of like $6,000 instead of $10,000. It's just, it's really hard to replicate that mainly because you have to save that money as if you're going to live to maybe you're a hundred because you just don't know. Whereas with an annuity, the insurer is pooling the risk across thousands, maybe even millions of people. And because of that, they kind of save to the average life expectancy instead of to a hundred years old. If somebody is married, let's start with married people and then we'll go to single people. We look Mm -hmm. at these three basic options, Brent, uh, life only, myself only, joint survivor, which you said is usually 50%, and then maybe another joint survivor option where it's a bigger number, the 75 or 100% Mm -hmm. option. How should I really look at those? What What are some things I should be thinking about as I weigh those options? Yeah, I would say a lot of it has to depend on, you know, how much is the signing spouse relying on that income should the employee, the original employee pass away. If that's the primary source of income after retirement, then a life only isn't going to make sense because that income will go away as soon as the employee passes away. I would say kind of the sweet spot in my mind is maybe 75% because you probably don't need a full 100% replacement because if the original employee passes away, now there's only one person instead of two people living off that income. So there's there's some kind of efficiencies, you know, like the 50% is probably not enough. The 100% is probably too much. Is there kind of a rule of thumb for the reduction that I take? If we both live and I, uh, I'm paying ahead, it's kind of like I'm paying for insurance, right? I'm paying ahead by making sure my spouse has more. If I don't, is there a rule of thumb around how much I'm going to lose if we both live a long time? Um, each plan uses its own set of assumptions, but... You know, like if you do a joint survivor 50%, you're looking at probably a 10 reduction. If you do a joint survivor 100%, you might be looking at a 20% reduction. It it also depends on how old the spouse is relative to the original employee. Uh, because if the spouse is 30 years old and the employee retires at 65, the likelihood of that spouse getting a lot of additional payments is going to be higher. So it's going to be a larger reduction. That brings up something else. We have these reductions, and really, even though I know it's much more complicated than this, what you guys do, setting up pensions for companies, but really, these are mm-hmm. insurance policies, right? I mean, I'm I'm kind of giving some of my money back as an insurance payment that if I die before my spouse does, that my spouse gets something. Have you seen it ever be really effective where somebody maybe does that on their own? They take the life-only option, but then they use that difference between, let's say, the 50 or 75 to explore their own insurance policy. Then if their spouse pass, if their spouse doesn't pass away and they decide they don't need the policy later, they can cancel it. If they do mm-hmm. need the policy, they still have you know an income stream for the spouse where they, they maybe buy themselves a little more flexibility. Does that work? Yeah, I mean, I haven't run the numbers on that, but definitely could. You're saying like using the life only and with that additional, um, buying like a term policy or something like that to make monthly payments. Yeah, it seems like um, it actually seems, and not to cut you off, but in this particular case, I'm not a big fan of permanent insurance in in a lot of mm-hmm. cases. But this seems like because we're dealing with older people, like you'd almost need a permanent policy because that term insurance is going to get so incredibly expensive. Yeah, it, it's hard to say if it. Would cancel out or not, it's to depend on the circumstances, but it could be something that's worth exploring as someone, especially if that pension's a large amount, they really want to try to optimize it as best they can. Let's talk about single people. Can a single mm-hmm. person put a relative, let's say maybe a niece or a nephew, or or if they're single and have children, can they put a, a child on their pension with them and make them the survivor? 
it's a pretty rare situation where a pension plan will allow that. The one thing is it's going to be a pretty significant reduction just because of the age difference oh, of age the retiree. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there is some incidental death benefit rules where, you know, it may be limited how much of an age gap there can be. I was also thinking back to married people and my little strategy of kind of the do-it-yourself deal that I was <laughs> right. that, that I was just proposing. I was also thinking people probably got to think about whether their health insurance is tied into the, the spousal health insurance. Do you see that a lot where spousal health insurance is tied into the pension plan? Do you mean like getting a retiree, uh, like an entire retiree medical program from the employer? Yeah, yeah. Like if I went with life only and created my own life insurance to go along with it and I passed away and my spouse was still alive, she might lose our life insurance because I died and I did this do it myself thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Honestly, I would probably, for most people, it's probably better to stick with the simplest option, which yeah. is just elect the joint survivor. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it's worth thinking of different ideas. Sure. I want to ask you about the other side of this, which is pensions. I mean, that's what you guys do. And right. um, you're seeing in the world, a lot of companies go away from pensions. Why is that? It's honestly, there's been a lot of changes in pensions over the last 40 or 50 years. And it's a, a confluence of things, but it's really more regulation is what it boils down to. It's gotten more expensive and harder to predict what the costs are going to be. The accounting standards make it more difficult to manage the risk because they're marked to market and CFOs don't like surprises. Um, and then, you know, we've just had a number of market crashes. When that happens, the employer's on the hook to guarantee these payments. And that's another surprise that CFOs just don't want to have to deal with. How do you help people get around those concerns then? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of new thought over the last five to 10 years regarding settling where employers will go to people who have terminated, maybe they haven't started their pension yet, and offering them a single sum payment in lieu of the future annuity stream as a way to kind of extinguish that liability and take it off the company's balance sheet. And that gives the employees an opportunity to take the lump sum if they want. And then on the employer side, it just shrinks the pension plan relative to the size of the company. It makes any volatility dampened when you do something like that. Gotcha. And it also, also though, you say there's some significant upsides companies can get when they set up a pension. Tell me about that. Yeah. And that's, um, so my background is I've worked, you know, I started my career working on really large pension plans. Well, you know, they had billions of dollars in assets, but more recently I started my own company working with just small businesses and it's a very different world in the sense the motivation on the on the larger end of the spectrum is attracting and retaining employees. Whereas with the small employers, it's all about getting a tax deduction while saving for your own retirement. And what I mean by that is, let's say you have a business with just the owner and maybe the owner's spouse, they could deduct two, three, four hundred thousand dollars a year while they save for their own retirement. And you just can't do that with a 401k or a SEP. Is there a lot of flexibility when it comes to pensions? Because it seems like once I set this up, I have to continue uh, funding it. Or am I, uh, maybe you should just explain to me how pensions get funded. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so they're definitely not as flexible as a SEP or 401k because those vehicles are completely discretionary every year. There is an obligation to typically put in money every single year. But one misconception I hear a lot is if I put in 300000 or 200000 the first year, a lot of people think that you have to put in that same amount every single year. But the reality is there's a lot of flexibility in terms of the amount. And so the contribution range that's permissible could be like fifty to 50000 400000 It can be that wide where employers do wow. have flexibility to choose. Wow. So looking one year from another, you can do a lot of planning around your pension. Yeah. And, and really, when you have a good year, you overfund it, basically make it 150% funded. So then when you have a lean year, you have some flexibility to put in less money. Which also gives you, in that way, then a little bit more flexibility than maybe a set plan will, because you can really take advantage, I would think, more strongly of those good years than you can with a SEP. Yeah, absolutely. Because with the SEP, you're limited to 57000 that's a lot of money and more than most people want to put in anyway. But if you have a high income business owner who's maybe 55 and really needs to catch up quickly, it's not, it's just not enough. 
If the company goes bankrupt, Brent, is there a difference in how those are treated under bankruptcy court? Do you mean a pension versus a 401k? Yeah, yeah. I'll say sort of, and then I'll explain it. So, um, <laughs> I know how to ask the tough question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a government agency called the Pension Benefit Guarantee Creation. It's kind of like the FDIC of pensions, where if a company goes under, they step in and guarantee the payments, or at least most of the payments. Um, but a lot of these smaller plans are not required to have that cash. Because if if it's just the owner only, it's just not a requirement. So um, in that case, they're, they would just get the assets that are in the trust they set aside and any shortfall would just kind of evaporate. Your favorite strategy for maybe a sole business owner using a pension uh, effectively, what would that be? Yeah, my, my favorite is what's called a, and if, especially if they have employees, it's called a combo plan. And what it means is you're using a 401k and a defined benefit plan together. And so what that allows you to do is put in a lot more money as an owner, but it also helps you reduce the cost of providing the benefits to staff. And and so when I say that, it's like it, my rule of thumb is if an owner's maxing out their pension, it's going to cost them about 10% of payroll in their staff if they didn't use the plan and just used a pension on its own, it might be 15 to 20% of payroll to, to cover the staff and, and pass non-discrimination testing. Wow. Awesome. If people want more information, where do they go and get it? People want to find you and uh, maybe either help setting one up or help figuring out if the one that they have is, is worth it. Where do people find you, Brent? Yeah. My website, saberpension.com and that's spelled S-A-B-E-R. Uh, pension.com. Awesome. And as always, if you're out on your morning walk, we got you covered, guys. We will have a link to Brent and Sabre Pension at our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Brent, thanks a ton for helping us. Uh, whether we win the lottery, have a pension, <laughs> or annuitize an annuity, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. It's great to be on. Hey, Stackers, it's Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, here. And on our crazy calendar today is Ride to Work Day. Well, here's the issue. If you haven't figured it out already, Ride to Work Day only comes along once a year, so I got to participate, but I got lots of rides to choose from. Should I jump in the old trusty El Camino? Most people's first choice. Yes, I know. But there's also my bike, my Razor scooter, my skateboard, or maybe I should ask nicely to borrow Joe's mom's Harley, huh? Now, while I figure out my ride for the day, I'll leave you with today's trivia question. How long in minutes is the average American's commute? Is it longer than 22 minutes? I'll be back faster than you can get into a fender bender. Well, let's talk about finding freelance talent for your business or projects. Sometimes you got to quickly pivot to meet a goal. I know this event that we're doing tonight on YouTube, 7 to 9, by the way, on YouTube. Join us. That's 7 to 9 Eastern. We're going to have experts from Fidelity, TIAA, Morningstar, and T. Rowe Price with us. What a lineup. Doc G will be there from our Earn and Invest podcast. And also, we're going to have Bobby Rebel there from our Money with Friends show. Big, big lineup, two hours helping you restack your Benjamins, but we had to get that together in a hurry. And you know how we did it? We used Fiverr. We had to quickly move, put a bunch of pieces together. So if you're wondering where you go to find on-demand talent, you're not sure how much it's going to cost. You're not certain if they're going to deliver. Well, finding the right freelance talent can be time-consuming, frustrating, and expensive. But Fiverr's platform helps keep businesses like ours moving with a network of trusted freelance talent. So whether you're launching your first business and just need help with the website, with the promotion, the public relations piece, the graphics, bookkeeping, scaling your current business, or in need of extra support to create a project, Fiverr is here to help you evolve, adapt, and grow Fiverr connects businesses with freelancers who offer hundreds of digital services, including all those above, but also copywriting, web programming, film editing, lots more. Find out what you're looking for instantly. Search by service deadline, price, reviews, and more. You'll know exactly what you're paying for upfront. You don't have to negotiate. They have 24-7 customer service. It is beautiful. Quality talent you can count on. Sellers will work with some of the most influential brands in the world, like Stacking Benjamins. 
Check out Fiverr.com today. And because you're a stacker, you're going to get 10% off your first order by using SB. It's super easy. Find all the digital services you need one place at Fiverr.com, code SB. Again, that's Fiverr.com, code SB. Hey, trivia fans, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, right here. And I'm not sure who spilled the beans, but Joe's mom said absolutely not to me using her Harley for a national ride to work day. I didn't even get a chance to ask. Well, you know what, Ma? I didn't want to ride that hog anyway. Um, Well, if I ride my skateboard, that'd give me a great excuse to wear my skinny jeans. Everybody loves that. If I ride my Razor scooter, I might be able to pull off a few sick tricks before I come in and close out the show. Oh, man. But then there's the El Camino, and we all know there's nothing better than peeling out and racing some corporate shill in a Honda something or other. And I win every time anyways. Oh, man. So many choices. So little time to decide. Well, let's let's get back to today's trivia, and I'll figure this thing out later the question was how long in minutes is the average american's commute is it longer than 22 minutes well you know before coronavirus where the average commute time for many americans went to like zero nilch not even happening but before that the average american commute had stretched to the longest it's ever been in the u.s since the u.s census bureau started tracking this sort of thing back in 1980 when it was 21.7 minutes but now the average commute has increased 20 percent to be 26 minutes each way i'm glad i just have to commute around the pine trees next time you see me i'll be on my sweet ride of choice gotta figure that out though first Big thanks to Brent for helping us today. Man, if you're retiring, OG, and you have a pension, we talk about revocable and irrevocable decisions. This is a decision that you want to take your time on. You want to know what the options are early and get in there and start running some numbers. I call them irrevocable decisions, but I like yours. Irrevocable. It sounds way fancier. Sounds like you're from the other side, the fancy side of the... Of the financial railroad tracks? Of the, of, the, of the railroad track. Of the f- financial terminology railroad track. Well, tracks. sir, that is an irrevocable decision. Irrevocable? That's how you say it? Yeah, that's how I say it. You're, holy cow. Trash. That's all I'm going to say. Just trash. There's only a place where we could figure out the right, right <laughs> way to do it. Uh, we could do that, but we got to throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions, OG. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. Correctly using... English pronunciations of words, especially complicated words. Like irrevocable? Sure. Exactly like that one. It says here, it's your loved ones and your time. But you can spend your time with your loved ones talking about wordplay, witty repartee. That's why they may buy quality term life insurance actually simple. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now for a free quote. It's a simple application. It's online. You'll get an instant coverage decision. And today... We're throwing out the lifeline to the dude with the awesome name. Say hi, Joe. Hey, Joe and OG. My name is Joe. I'm a dentist currently working in the military, and I'm separating from service next summer to pursue specialty training. My wife and I have no debt other than a mortgage, but we are planning on selling our current home before the residency. I will use the GI Bill to fund my education and provide some stipend income for housing rental during the two-year program. My wife will continue to stay at home with our children during the residency, and we have no other source of income. My questions are as follows. I want to continue investing in our IRAs during this time. Is this possible, legal, without a source of income other than the stipend? I would be happy to work a few days a month in order to generate taxable income to accomplish this if necessary. Is it smart to continue contributing, or should I hold off for a year or two? Just trying to minimize lost opportunity costs for that money over the long time horizon. Number two, I currently max out a Roth TSP working for the military. Should I consider decreasing the amount we contribute to the TSP in order to concentrate on getting as much liquid savings as possible? I'm not worried about debt payoff following completion of the program, but more trying to maximize efficiency in retirement savings. Additionally, I'm not worried about income during the program, considering the stipend and any loan money we take out should cover all of our expenses, no problem. Thanks for the help. I'm a religious listener of the show and a size XL. (laughs) 
Congratulations on the size XL, Joe. The good news is, is Gertrude sends you a code, and you can brag to our friend Brad about just how big a chest you have. But you think that's that? You think it's that? That's the part of the XL? Well, it could be other pieces. Just I'm trying to keep it positive. It's cannons. I was thinking. Oh, it's his you know, cannons from all the drilling. Uh, you know, in people's uh, faces. I have a funny story about uh, military Dennis. Maybe someday. I'll maybe tell it. someday. Uh, uh, what do you think about Joe's situation? This is interesting, not just for somebody going into dentistry, receiving a stipend from the government, but also just anybody who's looking at things like Roth IRAs when they're not bringing in money. Right. So firstly, in order to contribute to a retirement plan, you have to have earned income. I'm 90% sure that this is true, that the stipend that you'll get from the GI Bill is not considered earned income. So therefore, that won't count. So if you go, you know, deliver pizzas in the evening, and that makes you enough money to 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 contribute some to an IRA, that's fine. So the the rule is you have to have earned income, and you contribute the maximum of your earned income, all of it, up to six thousand uh, bucks, depending on your age. So if you go out and get a part time job and you make six thousand dollars a year, you can put it all into your Roth if you want. But if you're going to focus on school and you don't have any earned income, can't do it. As far as the timing goes, here's an idea that he didn't say. I'm not too worried about the time value of money concept, especially for somebody that's pursuing an advanced degree program, whether it's in medicine like he is or in another program. You just have to recognize what you're doing. You're taking time out of the workforce or you're taking time away from your career in order to take two steps forward. So you have to remember to pay yourself that first. That's the trade-off. That's what you're trying to do. You're investing time so that you can go from making $100,000 a year to $150,000 a year or whatever the number is. So I'm not overly concerned about it as long as you don't have a crazy amount of lifestyle inflation on the other side of that. Just make up for it. Just say, hey, I recognize that it's been two years since I put money in my account. I need to put the first thirty grand into my account to catch up for it. The other thing to consider, too, is as it relates to the timing of contributions, remember, you don't have to make your IRA contributions in January. You can make them as late as April, the year after they're due. In theory, if it's to your program, it really could only be one of those years that you're quote unquote missing. Say you start January of 2021 and you're done December of 2022. That's a two year program. Well, your 2022 contributions don't have to be in your account until April of 23. So you have plenty of time after you get done with your program, if that's how it timed out, in order to make those extra contributions. So I'd err on the side of being conservative and having cash in the bank and not really stretching in order to make those, you know, one or maybe two years of IRA contributions. If you think on the other side of it, you can just front load the next year's contributions into it or put it in a regular investment account. As it relates to the existing plan, TSP, I'd keep that going the way it is. Don't change anything there. You've already made a really good plan for for how you're going to handle the cash flow needs and everything associated with with this uh, transition. So I don't think it's necessary to to do anything different there. I was thinking that if he does earn a little extra money though and he is able to make a Roth contribution. I think a good middle ground OG would be to go ahead and invest it in the Roth to be able to make his annual contribution. If he really doesn't want to miss it, but, but leave it in cash in case he does end up needing to take it out. Yeah. That's another great example or another great idea. I should say. Yep. Yeah. Then he gets it inside the shelter uh, if he wants, but I'm also with, with OG, I think focusing on the job at hand at this point is, uh, is a great idea. Thanks, Joe, for the question. You got a question for OG? Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. And uh, like Joe, you can ask a question and then brag about your shirt size. All right, two notes housekeeping. Hope everybody can join us tonight, 7 to 9 on YouTube. That's Eastern time, 7 to 9. Join uh, OG and I, our good friends, Bobby Rebell from Money with Friends, Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast, and experts helping you restack Benjamins from Fidelity Investments, T. Rowe Price, TIAA, and Morningstar. Good lineup, OG. Yeah, the other people aren't bad. I'm <laughs> quite, glad I can make it. Quite, 
quite a lineup. And then last, if uh, you need more than a two-hour YouTube video or a quick call to the Haven Lifeline, there's always this option. OG and his team are taking clients. So if you need better help in your corner, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash OG, and that will help you get on their calendar. I promise they're fantastic uh, financial advisors, but OG, just want to play this for you. Irrevocable. Or the other version. This is the UK version. Irrevocable. Doug, you've got it from here, man. What should we have learned? Sure thing, Joe. I'll help out. So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from Brent Henningsen. Winning the lottery or taking a pension option? Apply some math first because your external factors will weigh heavily whether you choose the safe option or one that gives you more flexibility. Second, take a lesson from our headline. No matter what your golden years dreams are, RV or not, playtesting it first to see the possible downsides isn't a bad idea. But the big takeaway... According to Joe's mom, you don't actually need to ride to work when you're a two-minute walk from your work. Who cares about need? It's a holiday, Ma. Grab your skateboard and join us. Come on. Big thanks to Brent Henningsen for joining us today. You'll find Brent at SaberPension.com. This show is created by Joe Saul Seahigh, produced by Taylor Stevens, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and if you could only know what it really smells like down here. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. Thanks also to Joe's mom for joining in the skateboard parade. It's a summer tradition after all. Welcome to the After Show. After Show is not something we talk about. So if you're new and you're expecting to hear some more witty banter, you'll get that, but it won't be about uh, finances. Also, <clears throat> just like Fight Club, you don't talk about Fight Club, you don't talk about After Show. Anyways, uh, I had mentioned earlier I had a funny story about dentists when I was in the military Prior to going to boot camp, I had my semi-annual checkup, dental checkup, got a clean bill of health, hadn't had a cavity in my entire life, been going to the same dentist for 18 years, and everything was great. Get in the Marine Corps, they do their cursory look, turns out OG's got a cavity, which was news to me because I had pretty good teeth, had pretty good teeth at the time. So they're like, yep, you got to fill this cavity. I said, really? I just went to the dentist. I didn't think that the, you have a cavity. It needs to be filled. So we go and do that. And it sucks. And the person who did it was not an experienced dentist by any stretch of the imagination. Fast forward six months after that, I'm back home. I go back to my normal dentist. He looks at my mouth and he goes, what did you do? And I said, well, I joined the Marines. And they said I had a cavity. And he just laughed. He said... Yeah, there's no cavity there. And I said, no, they said there was a cavity. And he pulled out the x-rays. He goes, these are the x-rays we took six months ago. There was, there's no cavity there. Now there's a big filling there, but there was no cavity there. So. You got a free filling.
I got a free filling. Yes, thank you, Uncle Sam. Some good military dentist. And I can't remember. I I know which tooth it was, but I can't remember which side of my mouth it was. <laughs> but like one of those teeth on one side, I had extracted years ago, which is an I've had told that story before too. Yeah. And I don't know if that's the same tooth that they basically filled for no reason. But I know it's the same tooth. I just don't know which side it was on. So I, Hey, everybody needs sure, to make money. Even even Uncle Sam? Even Uncle no, Sam. Everybody needs practice. <laughs> so you don't well, go to financial no, planners that have nobody's, eight years of experience. Nobody's coming in with cavities today. What do we do? Oh, look at this guy. <laughs> today he does. Get a figure yes, one sir. Out. Cut it up. Cheryl sent me something off uh, Board Panda that had a lot to do with our RV trips, taking vacations. These are people's best travel pick fails. Number one, my first time visiting the Grand Canyon, there's this picture of, of a guy way out on the edge of a rock ledge. And I'm fairly certain when Nick and I were just there, we took a picture of him out on this ledge. So way, way out OG on this rock ledge. And below him... The whole canyon's covered in fog. The entire thing covered in fog. Number two, vacation photo. My mom's first visit to Paris. She's, she's pointing as uh, Notre Dame is burning down. Number three, woke up at 2.30 a.m. to make a two-hour two drive up 10,000 feet to see the sunrise atop Haleakala. Is that how you pronounce it? Haleakala? Our, our Hawaiian friends will know don't ask me i'm over one on pronunciation <laughs> and then it says have you ever seen such beauty and once again you can't you can barely see the dude's feet drove up ten thousand feet to see this beautiful sunrise completely covered in uh in in clouds number four had a 120 mile solo hike just get finished ask an elderly passerby to take a photo of me it's from the neck down <laughs> you no idea that it's him after 120 miles, a friend of mine traveled to Italy and managed to take a picture of the Leaning Tower of Pisa that doesn't show it leaning. They actually have the, the, the somehow they have the picture tilted exactly right. So the, the, the tower doesn't, you know, everybody's like pushing on the tower in their pictures or the tower's leaning a lot. This guy's got his off and the tower is taking it from the wrong side. The tower isn't, isn't leaning. Dad took a picture of me at Machu Picchu once again. Finger covers the face. No idea who it is. Wife and I visit the Eiffel Tower for our honeymoon. It shows a man with a little tiny glass of uh, champagne up at the top. And, of course, fog. Went to see the Taj Mahal. Completely foggy. Lots of fog. Hard to obtain permits for a 10-mile hike to see Havasupai Falls. The pictures show it is this white water going into this beautiful blue area. At this time, because of all the all the runoff, it's just completely like a mudslide coming down, coming down nice. down the falls. Uh, picture after picture, we had that in uh, in Germany. Did I tell you we went to Bavaria? Mm. I don't think so. We went to what many people call one of the prettiest lakes on earth, the Königsee. And you have to get on these special wooden boats and, uh, and it was rainy and nasty. Like you see all these pictures of the Koenig Sea and it's incredibly beautiful and nothing. Of course, my son, Nick went to see the, uh, he went to the Grand Canyon when he was two, but on our trip out West, we, uh, to take his car up to Seattle where he lives, we road tripped and stopped at the Grand Canyon. We first got there. It was much like this Grand Canyon picture, OG, where, where it's, uh, completely foggy and i'm t i'm trying to tell him like the, the most beautiful thing is just beyond my finger like if he if he walked four feet he'd fall into the canyon we're right on that tr that south rim trail and so we went and had lunch and we came out and the sun was just starting to emerge behind the clouds and it was burning off the fog and it was really cool because we we decided what the heck let's just walk and we got halfway down and there were little pockets that opened up and over the course of the next hour and a half, the canyon slowly opened. And every time it was cool seeing Nick's face as he sees the canyon a little more, a little more. And it's just, oh my God. Oh my goodness. Really cool. But lots of pictures of fog here. 
Somebody got to see Big Ben and it's covered in scaffolding. Went on vacation, paid extra for a room with a view of the mountains. The snow plow ran right outside our window and it completely covered the window with snow. <laughs> yeah, so many foggy views. Fog looks good from the top down, though. This is actually the view we had. Look at how he's standing right next to that, you know, those rocks. I mean, he goes straight down from those rocks. We were standing. I know exactly where he's standing. Anyway, all right. Home me. It's really oh. a great after show, I must say, talking about things that people are supposed to look at to appreciate. Yeah, take a look at that. It's amazing. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.